If you're like me and a whole lot of other people, you take great pleasure in the game of baseball. It's an important blessing in our lives. None of us, however, believe it's ultimate. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! It is very likely that at some point in time in your life, you have been in a place where somebody has made the statement, God is good. And then a person or a whole group of people respond with, all the time. That is so true. And we see it in so many ways. Really ways that are too great to number. And one of the very good gifts that demonstrates our Lord's goodness is that he has blessed us with the game of baseball. And if you're like me, you believe it's the greatest game on planet Earth. If you don't believe this, I feel sorry for you. But as true as this is, I'm confident of something else. That nobody believes that baseball is the most important thing in life. I guarantee this, that last Monday night, there was a Major League Baseball pitcher and his wife and a stadium full of people and fans listening and watching who would agree with that statement. That baseball is not the most important thing in life. And this is during the half-inning break. Liam Hendricks walking out to the bullpen. His wife, Christy, in eager anticipation of this moment and then the next moment when he does walk out of that bullpen for a long, long time. Well, you'd love to see it be a safe situation, but you'd love to see Liam in the game in any situation tonight. One drink of water, two drinks of water, And one ball of emotion, a healthy one at that, coming out. Christy has been through so much. Yes. This moment is so much for her as it is for him. Well, I love the fact that Theis is not getting in the batter's box. He is standing off to the side, allowing Liam to get all the accolades he richly deserves. That took place Monday night. The White Sox at home playing against the Angels. And Liam Hendricks, who has been the White Sox closer for the last couple of years, made his first appearance of the 2023 baseball season. Earlier this year, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he was not active until recently, did not make his first appearance until a week ago because he was fighting that cancer. He has been pronounced cancer-free. And he took the mound on Monday night with his wife Christy in the stands and all of those people and all of the chanting. It was a great thing. And his first pitch in that game was a strike. Yesterday, 
was National Cancer Survivors Day, and Liam Hendricks picked up the win for the Chicago White Sox. He came into the game in the ninth inning, tie score 2-2, to threw an inning, didn't give up a hit or a walk, struck out a couple, and then his teammate Jake Berger hit a walk-off grand slam. What a great story. I do not know Liam Hendricks. I have a friend who knows him well, and I have read and heard a lot of his teammates. And they say he is a great teammate. He is an enjoyable guy to be around. And that, of course, always makes a story like this even better. But it demonstrates that he and his wife and his friends and his family and the baseball world recognize that when you're diagnosed with cancer, that is far more important than whether you play baseball. The fact that he is able to come back is being celebrated as it is because we recognize that baseball is not ultimate. Now, as believers, we ought to recognize this as well, that the fact that he is now cancer-free not only allows him to continue playing baseball, but it gives him time. He's not a believer. He's not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he still has time. He can still repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. So not only is cancer more important than baseball, life and death, but also, of course, heaven and hell, far more important than baseball. Now, I find it interesting, at least the way I see things, that I think that it is more often recognized by people at the highest level of the game, people that make their living at the game, major leaguers, coaches, managers, players, that they recognize this, I think, far more readily than sometimes parents and coaches of youth baseball players do. Sometimes we act like baseball is ultimate. And little Johnny at 12 years old, if he doesn't do this or he does do that, the whole world is either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Well, this past week, Dusty Baker did an interview. And in that interview, he gave some outstanding advice about how we, as coaches and as parents, can better handle our young boys in the game of baseball, but far more importantly, also to teach them things about life. You let them play, let them play, let them, uh, um, you know, have a good time. You know, they're going to fail. Sometimes we, I think we overcoach uh, sometimes uh, and we try to um, uh, push 30 years of our knowledge onto them at 12 or 13 or 14 years old. I mean, I, I, I believe that we should give them some knowledge, but some of it just just go play. I think we overanalyze things and sometimes, you know, we put too much importance on things that aren't really, really that important on the overall scale of things. I don't think a lot of people know how to coach positively. I see these kids that are pitchers only, but this kid could probably hit or play another position, or uh, or if you don't uh, only play baseball in the fall, then you're not going to uh, make the team. I mean, I think that's one of the worst things that they've ever done. Let these kids play as many sports as they possibly can play. and. Um, and get them out of the house. Uh, that, I think that's, that's big. And if all of us could, could teach our kids, teach, teach people, period, you know, to give, to love, and to be unselfish, then, hey, man, we'd be way, way, way ahead in the world. I would encourage you, if you are a coach of youth baseball players or a parent, to listen to that clip again and again. A lot of very important, very true statements were made by Dusty in that interview. And I've been around youth baseball on a regular basis for the last four summers. 
and I see a lot of the things that Dusty was addressing. Now, I don't see so much 30 years of experience trying to be crammed down the throat because where we live, that's not the case. I do see 30 hours of internet guru studying being crammed down their throat. And I also see a lot of advice being given that is not allowing these young boys who are going to be young men to develop, not only as baseball players, and Dusty addressed that, but also as human beings, which Dusty also addressed. Now, I want to make sure that we don't hear Dusty saying something he did not say. When Dusty said to let them play, he did not mean let these youth baseball players do whatever what they want to do, whatever they think is best. Let them act in any manner whatsoever. And the reason that I am confident that Dusty did not say that, did not mean that, wasn't even implying that, is because Dusty Baker was the first guest I ever had in the bullpen. And in the interview, I was talking to him about a story I remember him telling back when I played for him. I said, I I don't remember if it was on a plane ride, a bus ride. I don't remember what it was. But do you remember what I'm talking about? And I asked him about that, and I asked him to tell that story, and he did. Yeah, well, I remember. I remember he, I was kind of hardhead. My nickname was Hardhead till I was about 12 or 13. But, <laughs> but uh, it might be the story about my dad cutting me from his little league team. I think that's it. And uh, my dad was a, uh, he was Bobby Bonds' coach before me. Bobby was four years older than me, and then he was my coach. And then when I was eight years old, uh, he cut me for, I struck out, I think, and I slung my bat up against the backstop. I had a terrible temper, so he cut me. And then uh, uh, I had to play for his friend. And then at nine years old, during tryouts, I missed the ball. I stomped on it, on my glove, and he cut me again. <laughs> I had a bad attitude. And then at 10 years old, my friend told me he was going to hit me in the head. The only time I've ever been hit in the head in my whole life, in my whole career, he did hit me in the head, and I, I quit. And my dad says, hey, man, no son of mine is going to quit at nothing. He says, uh, I got too much money invested in you, uh, that nine ninety nine Sears and Roebuck Ted Williams glove. <laughs> and uh, he sent me back to the minors again. So, And he told me, he says, if you can uh, take that bad attitude you got and that temperament and put it in a positive direction that you could be something one day. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm big now when I see young players or, or kids or whatever it is. I mean, I'm big now on attitude and uh when i see those some of the some of the bad attitude kids i mean a lot of times these kids are the most talented kids but they just need some direction mm. and uh you know i hate to think about you know i probably wouldn't even be here right now you know if i uh you know didn't get that that lesson that direction from my dad So just as I recommended that you listen to the first clip, the one that was from an interview he did this past week again and again, I would encourage you to listen to that clip again and again. Put them both together. Work through them. Now that interview, I I would say also it would be good to listen to the whole interview. That interview was done, or that the, the episode dropped on April 20th, 2020. But listen to what he said at the end. I probably wouldn't even be here right now. He's saying, if my father hadn't handled me in that way, I probably wouldn't even be here right now. 
And it may be that Dusty meant I wouldn't be a manager in Major League Baseball on my way to the Hall of Fame, or I wouldn't have had the the baseball career I had as a Major League Baseball player. It could be that's what he was referring to. But if you listen to the whole interview, I actually think that what he meant by that statement is, I would not be here on planet Earth right now if it were not for my father and for what he did when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. And he says in that clip, the youth need direction. Well, here's the thing. They're getting direction one way or the other. What he means by that is they need good direction. Now, this year, I'm helping out a little bit as much as I can with one of my son's baseball teams. And this team is comprised of 13 and 14-year-old young boys, young men, however you want to talk about it. And I'm trying not to shove a lot of information down their throat, but I am trying to give them good direction. And so far, I've given them some very simple advice at one of our first practices. I said to the whole group, listen, there is a variety of talent and skill level on this team. But it doesn't matter if you're the best player on this team or the worst player on this team. There are two things that everybody on this team is able to do. And that if you do it, it will make you a better baseball player. It will make us a better team. And more importantly, it will benefit you long after you're done playing baseball. And I said, here are two things all of you are able to do. Pay attention and hustle. Now, we have a practice later tonight. I'm going to add a couple of more things. I'm going to encourage these young men, again, you could say boys, but they're on their way to manhood, to always do something and to never do something. And I'm going to say, again, this has to do with baseball right now, you, our team, but it goes way beyond that. I'm going to say, always pursue excellence. And never make excuses. I think that's in line with what Dusty said both in the interview this past week as well as when I spoke to him a little bit over three years ago. Now, just as an aside, I have been considering something for well over a year. And that is doing an episode that I'm going to title A Baker's Dozen. I'm going to title it that if I end up doing it. Dusty was the first ever guest or my first interview in the bullpen, so I'm going to take him and then the 12 that followed him, so the first 13 interviews I did, call it a baker's dozen, and use clips from each of those 13 men and put it together in a way that hopefully will be very productive and enjoyable for those who hear it. If I pull the trigger on this, I'm thinking either to drop this episode on the Monday during the Major League Baseball All-Star break or on the Monday, which is Labor Day in September. We'll have to wait and see. Now, I'm guessing that you are thinking one of two things at this point in time. Either you're saying to yourself, hey, we're 15 minutes into this episode. Is it possible, and I sure hope it is, that Mark is not going to bring up the same thing he's talked about for the last two or three episodes? Or you might be saying to yourself, wow, we're 15 minutes into this episode. Do you mean to tell me that he is not going to address the story that continues to be a front page type story? Well, if you're the first person, you're going to be disappointed. If you're the second, you're not, because I'm going to address the story. Because it continues. It's ongoing. And it began again in a pretty earnest way right from the beginning of last week, right from Monday and beyond. 
On Monday, I believe it was, a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, Anthony Bass, apparently reposted something on some form of social media that was endorsing the boycott of Target. He got a lot of flack for that. And I believe it was the next day on Tuesday that he met with the media and had this to say. I recognized yesterday uh, I made a post that was hurtful to the Pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. And I am truly sorry for that. Um, I just spoke with my teammates and shared with them my actions yesterday. I apologize with them. And as of right now, I'm using the Blue Jays resources to better educate myself to make better decisions moving forward. Uh, the ballpark is for everybody. Uh, we include all fans at the ballpark, and we, and we want to welcome everybody. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Anthony Bass professes to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are, please join me in praying for Anthony Bass and his family. Now, this apology was making its rounds on social media, and there was uh, any number of, how do I want to put this? Well, I got any number of merciless, I better not say merciless, attacks for Anthony Bass doing that. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about the people that might be upset that he posted what he did. That said, apparently in his first appearance after that statement, which was in Toronto, and it was a large crowd, might even have been a sellout crowd, he was booed heartily when he came out of the bullpen. Again, he needs our prayers. But others were involved early last week as well. Clayton Kershaw came out and said something that wasn't a very strong statement, disappointing from my perspective, but he said that he he doesn't believe anybody should criticize anybody else's religion. And then he and the Dodgers announced that they're going to have a faith and family night. I think it's at the end of July, and that's kind of their counterattack, if you will. I better not call it counterattack. That's their answer, at least so far. But then a pitcher for the Washington Nationals, who is a Roman Catholic, Trevor Williams, came out and made a stronger statement about what's wrong. But the best statement I've read so far is by a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Blake Trainin. And you need to go and read the statement he released last week. I just want to read how it ends. This is what he wrote at the end. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe the word of God is true. And in Galatians 6-7 it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This group openly mocks Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of my faith. And I want to make it clear that I do not agree with nor support the decision of the Dodgers to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And then he closes with a text from Scripture. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. All of these men, Anthony Bass, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Williams, Blake Trainin, they need our prayers. They all profess to be believers in Christ. I believe based upon what Trevor Williams said or wrote and Blake Trainin, they need our prayers for protection for themselves and their families. As the week went on again, the story kept coming up again and again. And there's a man on Twitter that I follow. His name is Robbie Starbuck. And he has been ahead of the game, if you will. He's been given heads up about this is about to happen. As a matter of fact, he talked about a player doing something, and then within 24 hours, Blake Trainin released his statement. 
Now, I do not know much about Robbie Starbuck, but he did write this on his Twitter uh, feed. The Dodgers chose to honor a group that literally dresses in drag as nuns to carry out simulated sex acts on a guy who dresses up as Jesus. If opposing these people desecrating my Savior means that I'm seen as a, quote, hate-filled piece of crap, unquote, in this broken world, I'm okay with that. So I don't know the man, but when you write something like that, I like him. And we need more people like Robbie Starbuck that are okay with being called a hate monger. We need more people like Samuel Say, who is also on Twitter, at Slow to Write. He wrote this, If we're unwilling to lose our livelihoods for Christ, what makes us believe we would be willing to lose our lives for Christ? That's a very good and a very important question. Now, after last week's episode, I had a number of correspondence, text, and emails and the like, more than, t- than typical. A couple that I received were from guys that played professionally. One of them played in the major leagues, one of them played professionally, but only in the minor leagues. And one of them wrote this at the end of a series of texts. Culture is unraveling right in front of our eyes. I believe the world is begging for the Elijahs of God to stand up. The war has already been won, but it's not over yet. That's true. Christ has won the victory. We're still engaged in the battle. We need more current major leaguers and minor leaguers to speak and live like these men. To live like a Daniel. Where I am in my Bible reading, yesterday I read the book of Daniel. If you haven't read that in a while, go do so and see how we need not only Elijah's, but Daniel's today, and not only in baseball, but everywhere. Now, returning to Robbie Starbuck, on Wednesday, he tweeted out this, more news, I can confirm a big group of Major League Baseball players will refuse to wear pride or trans flags of any kind this year if asked to by their teams. This includes star players. And then he writes, a few strong men taking a stand is leading others to as well. Courage is contagious. No doubt it is. Conviction and courage are contagious. Conviction and courage are the need of our hour. And then he wrote this. This goes way beyond the pride stuff. But Dodgers honoring a hate group that explicitly mocks their faith was the last straw. These players don't believe teams should ask them to violate their beliefs, just like these teams would never ask their atheist players to wear crosses. They are right on a multitude of levels or ways. Think about it. And I brought this up before. What if a Christian owned a Major League Baseball team? And a Christian was the general manager of that team, and the manager, and the whole coaching staff, and a a, a large number of players. Let's say a, a, a majority of the players. Let's say 18 out of the 26 guys on the roster. And that particular team, with the Christian owner, GM, manager, the whole thing, decided to have a night in which they declared Jesus is Lord. And on that night, everybody in uniform was required to wear a patch on their right arm that says, Jesus is Lord. Would I support that? 
I would not. Pride is a lie. More than that, it's a sin. More than that, it's one of the seven deadly sins. More than that, it's number one in the list. And that's just pride generally, not pride in that which is an abomination before the eyes of God. Jesus is Lord is a true statement and a statement that every single person who have has ever or ever will walk on the face of the earth will one day acknowledge. They will confess with their tongue, Jesus is Lord. But I would not expect an unbeliever to endorse that. He doesn't believe it. And neither would anybody else. There would be such an outcry, it would be remarkable. And they're being used, and nobody's being asked permission for the most part. It's just expected. Now, I had a teammate, and this was an event that that at least the stated cause would be, in and of itself, nothing that anybody would necessarily have an issue with. Though I believe the stated cause was really a Trojan horse to get us to where we are today. But nonetheless, the stated cause at that time seemed simple and clear and basic enough. But I had a teammate, and he was not a believer, that refused to participate. And he said to me, nobody asked me if I wanted to endorse this cause, and I don't. And so I refused to do so. We need more players. And again, my teammate was not a Christian. We need more players, Christian and non-Christian, to stand up and say, I refuse to do so. Now again, Robbie Starbuck tweeted, more Major League Baseball players than ever before will refuse to wear pride logos on their uniforms, and many teams know this. And then he says, I wonder if some teams will just reverse their plans to avoid the embarrassment of players refusing. It would be smart of them, but the woke folks rarely do the smart thing. Sadly, that's true. Now, on June 1st, which was what, Thursday, Major League Baseball put up their logo, and it was the quote-unquote trans flag logo, whatever you want to call it. Then the next day, they removed that. Now, the next day was Lou Gehrig Day, and that was kind of their emphasis. However, since then, and I checked just this morning before I started this, it's still not the quote-unquote trans flag. I don't even know what we want to call it, but you know the logo that I'm talking about. And again, Robbie Starbuck talked about the fact or wrote about the fact that the players are sick of being used as political pawns for wokeness. Now, the Major League Baseball Players Association has been brought into this mix. I'm interested to see what are they going to do. Are they going to stand with and and protect the players that are a part of the union? And of course, with the minor leaguers now being unionized, it could have an issue there as well. And I started thinking about this. If you are a fan of baseball, if you played the game at the major league level, whatever the case may be, try to consider this. Try to consider Don Drysdale or Bob Gibson or Nolan Ryan or Roger Clemens or Pedro Martinez or let's not go to Hall of Fame caliber players, even a couple of teammates of mine, Don Robinson and Bob Walk. And you were a starting pitcher and the other team was intentionally drilling one of your hitters. Let's say your leadoff hitter or your three- or four-hole hitter. And what if you were one of those pitchers throughout all of that time, or even to today, and you refused to do anything to protect your teammate? How would that go over for Major League Baseball players? I can guarantee you this. don't know how it would go over today, but historically it would not go over well. As a matter of fact, I remember the story, a story from the book 60 Feet, 6 Inches, 
I talked about that for an episode, in which it was a tendency for pitchers to try to hit Lubrock in the legs to try to keep him from stealing. And of course, when that happened, it was the responsibility of the pitchers to make sure that the other team recognized you can't do that with impunity. So in a game in which Bob Gibson started, Lubrock got hit in the legs. Bob Gibson came to the mound. I don't remember who the batter was. He got in the batter's box, and he looked back at Tim McCarver, who was the catcher, and he said to Tim McCarver, I'm not going to enjoy this at-bat very much, am I? You see, it used to be understood that men protect, in particular women and children, but even their own teammates. We'll see what happens. Now, this is not only a problem in Major League Baseball. On June 1st, MLB Twitter said, celebrating community, pride, and love of baseball, hashtag pride. On the same day, Minor League Baseball Twitter, our game is one of love and acceptance, hashtag MILB pride. And then they put a calendar on, and it said, bursting with hashtag MILB pride this month. And it showed the calendar of what teams slash cities would be having a Pride Day or a Pride Night. And by my count, I came up with 52. As I mentioned, I got a lot of feedback last week. And I got a text from another person who was a professional baseball player. And he wrote this. He was responding to what I said in last week's episode. He asked a question. How many major and minor league Christian players do you suppose neglect frequenting the house of the Lord? Is it possible that, quote, freedom, unquote, from going to worship one day in seven has weakened the call to carry our cross? For me, this isn't a Sabbath issue per se, but it is a habitual disregarding true corporate worship and not just 15-minute chapel. I agree wholeheartedly with your sentiments of standing for Christ. I'm wondering, though, is this or if this isn't the apex of long-term softening of Christians to the fight between good and evil. And I told him, you are dead on. And his reference there of not going to worship but 15-minute chapel is it is very much, and again, I can't say over the last few years, but it has been very much the practice that I think that I can walk down the hallway from our clubhouse in my flip-flops and t-shirt and shorts, listen to a 15-minute biblical presentation of some sort, and think I have engaged in worshiping God, the corporate worship of God. And I believe with my friend that this is indeed very much and maybe the number one reason why we refuse to carry our cross. But it's not just professional baseball. Because not only did MLB Twitter, not only did MILB Twitter, but also Little League Twitter. They wrote, We take pride in respecting individual differences and perspectives as an intentional part of our program. And they, of course, had the picture with the multicolored thing. And then inside that picture, they wrote, Here, everyone is included and plays the same game. Again, this is not about whether little Johnny thinks he might be gay and therefore we won't let him play baseball. That's not about this at all. It's about pushing an agenda, about pushing a narrative. Now, over the last several years, usually not during the normal, if you will, regular season games, but when you get to tournament play, almost every game they will have the players recite 
the Little League Pledge, which was written by Peter McGovern, who was the first president of Little League Baseball back in the 50s, 1954. And so the players say this, I trust in God, I love my country, and I respect its laws. I will play fair and strive to win, but win or lose, I will always do my best. I like that on multiple levels, going to the end of it, because you do play to win. But pursue excellence. Win or lose, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to pursue excellence. But the first words, I trust in God. And now what we're saying is, I trust in God, but whatever God this is I'm declaring I trust in is not the God of Scripture who says certain things about immorality. In particular, in this case, sexual immorality. Now, it's easy for us, it's easy for you and me to start pointing fingers at others. At Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, Little League Baseball, particular players or managers or coaches, And we say, how in the world did we get to this point? Even to the point where it's going on in Little League Baseball. But I want to go back to my friend's words. My friend's words about Major League and Minor League Baseball players forsaking the assembling together with the people of God. And I've mentioned it before. Where I live and the way I go to worship each Sunday morning goes right by a complex. It's only a couple of years old in our area but it's a complex that hosts a lot of travel ball tournaments on the weekends. And it's usually about 8.15, 8.20 that I pass this complex every Sunday morning. And from about early April to early November, every Sunday morning, as I pass this complex on my way to worship, I will see literally hundreds of 8 to probably 14 years old, hundreds of players at 8.20 on a Sunday morning getting ready to spend the whole day at the ballpark. And where I live, in the southwest part of the state of Virginia, it is a very sound guess that the majority, probably the vast majority of the parents who have their sons there, would profess to be Christians. What are they saying? I said in the introduction that none of us believe baseball is ultimate. I stand by that statement. I think it's correct. But... When we consider my friend's text about major and minor league players, when we consider what I just spoke about as it regards the complex down the road, there are a whole lot of people, including a whole lot of professing Christians, who are saying with their actions that baseball is more important than worshiping the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you follow the game very closely you may, in this past week, have either heard or read what Noah Syndergaard said. Now, of course, at one time, he was one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball. This year, he is struggling mightily pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he said this in the last week, I'd give my hypothetical firstborn to be the old me. And you might say, ah, see, Mark, there's somebody who thinks it's ultimate. Well, first of all, I believe he was speaking metaphorically. I believe if he was pressed about those words, or even more so, if he was blessed with a child, he would quickly admit he was speaking metaphorically. That baseball, to be the old me, his self when he was dominant, is not ultimate. But in his making that statement, it reminded me of a a statement that was very, very common. Though I don't think, as a rule, players or people would speak it to the media. But men, both in professional baseball, Major League Baseball, and beyond, would often speak metaphorically. 
And they would do so to express how much they wanted something and what they were willing to give up to attain that something. And the statement was that they would give up a particular part of their body. I would give this up to be the old me. I would give this up to become a Major League Baseball player. Now, I don't know if this saying is still commonplace or not. But if I had a guess, I would say it's probably not used much anymore. Because for too many men, such body parts have already been removed. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.